All right, welcome to another episode of The Bible Guys. My name is Rick Kleiner. I'm joined here, as always, with Jerry Hullinger. Jerry, we've got another question today, and I think the question is going back to a last season's series we did on the five points of Calvinism, or we commonly and affectionately call the TULIP. Yikes, no controversy there. Not at all. And if you haven't listened to those episodes, we encourage you to go back, because I pretty much think Jerry and I killed it. Um, you know, we've solved the problem of Calvinism. We did. We did. We fixed everything. There should be no debate anymore. Just go back, watch all five episodes, or listen to all five episodes. We haven't got the video set up yet. So here's the question. Somebody responded, and we knew these were going to come in. Uh, the response, the question was, well, what about 1 John 3, 9? If 1 John 3, 9 does not teach perseverance of the saints, which is that last P we talked about, and we both said we we hold to a preservation right. of the saints, not so much a perseverance yes. of the saints, and we'll define what that means in a minute. The question was, if 1 John 3, 9 does not teach perseverance of the saints, then what does it teach? So... Mm. Here's a good question, and I think I appreciate our listeners supporting that question. Again, they're not trying to trick us. They just want to say, hey, right. what are you trying to say there? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question, and First John 3, 9 is a key text for those who hold perseverance. I mean, that that is one of the critical ones. So, you know, certainly a reasonable question and, and something we should look at. So if we've got a listener that's listening right now, and they're new, they just jumped in season four, which um, I don't know how you found us, but if you're listening to us and you're wondering, what are we talking about when we say perseverance? Can we define for our listeners what we're talking about? Yeah, negatively, it is not eternal security. As you said, we both affirm preservation, eternal security. The perseverance of the saints actually is very, very common in all religions and even cults. Mm -hmm. And that's not an ad hominem argument to say suddenly that any you know, evangelical who holds it as being associated with them. But it's very common in all religions. And either the idea is that you have to persevere in good works in order to earn your salvation, which is probably not what this listener is talking about, or some hold perseverance to mean that if you are a true Christian, you will necessarily have a pattern of good works in your life. You will sin. Sometimes you may sin horribly, but if you are a true Christian, you will not have a pattern of sinning in your life. If you do, that is evidence that you were never saved in the first place. You just have a false profession. Right. So let's get to the text, First John 3, 9. Okay. What version should we read for our listeners? Well, you know, actually, having gone through the—I've been, I've been talking about this for 30, 40 years with people. Mm-hmm. And um, most of the versions say the same thing. Right. But one of the better ones is actually the, um, the King James and the New King James. All right. In my opinion. So let's hear it. All right. This is the, what was this again? This is the, That's King, the King James. This is the King James. All right. Yeah. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. So. All right. There it is. All right. Well, that's been an episode of that. Now let's talk <laughs> about it. But the, the, in the other translations, what does it say? Right. So in the ESV, it has the idea of, I believe it says, um, does not keep sinning. Yes. Um, I got an NIV in front of me here. It says, will not continue to sin. Um, the, new, the CSB says, does not sin. Or it uses the phrase, even in the end of the verse, is not able to sin because he's been born of God. I'm actually not opposed to that 
translation, they're taking a particular interpretation of this. Yeah. But a lot of the translations, as you said, will have some progressive durative idea mm-hmm. to the verb. They do not continually sin. Right. And, I'm sorry, that would support the idea that a true Christian does persevere in good works. Right. So I think really what we need to do here is what we always say to our listeners. Don't just read one verse. Let's look at the context around it. Because John, obviously, I believe he has an argument here that if we see the argument, we're going to understand what he's talking about. That That's of great importance. Before we do that, may I make some a couple comments on the perseverance thing? I know we probably hit this, but let me just state in terms of this verse that, of course, you have a present tense verb, which is why many translate this continually. We should point out that there are many uses of the present tense. Inherent in the present tense is not a durative, continual idea. It can have that sense, and certainly many times the present tense does. But, again, it's not inherent in the tense, and that does not mean every time you see a present tense verb, that's the idea behind it. So this is a, this is a grammatical interpretive decision on how to translate it, and those who translate it that way are, are arguing for this uh, perseverance position. Um, but you can't rest on that. And actually, if you, if you took every present tense verb in John and translated it that way, you would have a mass of contradictions on your hand because many of them cannot be taken in that durative sense. So what I have found with people and in some commentaries, they're basing their whole position of interpretation on the present tense. And unless you would have some you know, firm evidence elsewhere in the context that you should take that in a durative sense, then really that becomes a weak argument and a non-convincing one to me. Yeah, and that's important. I think that's, I'm going to call it the, what is that, that first-year Greek yes. mistake Yeah, that you say, oh, okay, present tense always means this. Oh, man, but if you keep in your Greek, you realize all those things. No, it doesn't always mean that. I believe I, I remember um, specifically in Greek language classes where a um, professor had said, oh, yeah, this is in this tense, so it always means this. And so mm-hmm. then I translated it, and he, you know, he went around the room and said, all right, Rick, what'd you get for that one? And I said, all right, I got this. He goes, okay, why'd you put it that way? I said, because you said that tense always means that. He goes, yeah, but this is the time it doesn't mean that. <laughs> That's great. That's so great. it's like language is, I mean, when you study the biblical languages, it really is a, it's an art mm-hmm. to it. Mm-hmm. And um, there is those, those little idiosyncrasies that you can find in every little bit. But there are times where it's, you're, it's open to the interpretation. It's mm-hmm. open to when we look at that, like say, for example, we look at the present tense. You can't always say, oh, it means continuous, because the context doesn't isn't continuous around it. It's chances are it's not in that same same continuous verb. Yeah. So if somebody who holds to perseverance comes to this verse and says to me, This verse proves my position, I ask them why, and they say, Because it's in the present tense, it's like, okay, do you have more than that? Because that's not enough. So let's look at the let's look at the more. Okay. What, let's look at the context around it. What is John saying here? Yeah, well, I, I think, like you said, if you if you go back earlier, very importantly, even, even back to verse 6, I think this is critical. Whosoever abides in him, and I'm still using the King James, I'm just taking out some of the these and thou's thing. That's fine. Whosoever abides in him does not sin. 
Here, John is indicating that when a believer is in a condition of abiding, that is, when they are in fellowship with Christ, when they are in obedience to Christ, which I essentially think is is what abiding means, whoever abides in him does not sin. When they are living in that state, they are not sinning. And I think that's going to be a key concept as he moves on into verse 9. He's going to add some other details, but I think that's kind of set the tone. And I would also add that John, in his gospel and in this first epistle, he's going to speak in very absolute language. And that will become important down in verse 9. Yeah, and in verse, uh, even early as verse 5, he talks about, um, you know that Jesus, talking about Jesus, he, has re- he was revealed. I'm going to have the CSB. You know he was revealed so that he might take away sins, and there is no sin in him. And then there's a correlation, and everybody who's with him or remains in him or who's obedient to him or abides in him mm-hmm. does not sin. Yes. So really what John is setting up here is a parallel between ourselves and the and Christ. We're remaining in him. Since he is this way, we are too, or we should be too. Right. Okay, so before we go a little further, well, actually, let's wait on that. I was thinking, is this teaching perfectionism? No. Because of what he's going to say later. Right. So we want to go in, before our listeners cut off this episode and go listen to a different podcast, we are not saying that we do not hold a Christian perfectionism. We want to let the context keep dictating what we're, yeah. what we're going to learn. Okay, so let's keep going with this. Yeah, so if, if you continue to move down, um, um, and you want to just hit verse 9? Yeah, yeah, take care of it. Okay, so verse 9, whoever is born of God doth not commit sin, and then it's critical what he says next. Here's the reason. For his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin <laughs> because he is born of God. And I think John is setting up what you just intimated, and that is the fact that the seed here is a reference to that regenerate nature that we received when when God saved us. He gave us spiritual life. He gave us a capacity uh, to obey him, to live for him, and that capacity— that resides within us cannot sin. And I think this is part of his absolute language that he's using. Now, as you pointed out, this doesn't mean perfectionism because we still have a sinful tendency within us. But as far as that that uh, that seed of God, that principle of regeneration, that spiritual life, that capacity, that cannot sin. It can never sin. And um, when we live that way, we are demonstrating to people that we are born of God. If we don't live that way, then we are not demonstrating that, we are not manifesting that, and people will never know. Yeah, and I think this is a parallel to what Jesus told his disciples, and John being one of them, in Matthew 16 and then Matthew 18, when he talked about the idea of you have, I'm going to use the word, the binding and loosing. Hmm. Um, as, as you know, that I'm, I'm a big guy in the in ecclesiology. I love studying. The yeah, doctrine. and you're into that binding loosing thing. I really am, yeah. man. And and so, but that idea is that the how do we we call? I hold that view that the binding and loosing we we apply it down through the centuries, and we get to the point of church discipline, where what is church membership? We are binding them to ourselves. We are publicly affirming that this person, based on our best of our ability, is a believer in Christ. We we are not declaring them to be believers in Christ. We're just publicly affirming that they are um, based on their confession of faith. But when discipline kicks in is when they are no longer, or we are no longer able as a church or a local assembly to affirm that due to a unrepentant, consistent lifestyle of sin, 
based on this passage here, we're like, look, we cannot say anymore. We can no longer safely publicly affirm that this is a believer, so we loosen them from us. Hmm. Interesting. So that's the idea where we go. So there's a there's a parallel there. All right, so let's keep talking about this idea. So we know it's not perseverance. Or I'm sorry, we know it's not, yeah, exactly. We know it's not perseverance. We also know it's not perfectionism. So the argument here, if we can sum it up, what's the argument that John's trying to make? Yeah, again, speaking absolutely, and, and really you've got to go back all the way to the beginning of the letter where in his prologue he says he's, he's going to write to them that their joy may be full, that they would remain in fellowship with God, and so the whole point in the letter is to encourage these believers. I mean, you can tell by the language throughout, he knows they're believers. And he's wanting them to avoid anything that will hinder fellowship. He's wanting them to enjoy a full eternal life. And he'll talk about obstacles to that. He'll talk about how to show that. And um, again, this is just part of that overall argument of the absolute, you don't want to walk in darkness, you want to walk in the light, you want to abide, you want to stay in fellowship. And um, you know this shows the world that you're that you're saved. And by the way, I would also add a lot of people don't point this out, but in the in the context here in verse ten, and then later on, the sin really being discussed is that of not loving the brethren. I mean that that's the point, and that's something he's going to encourage them throughout the letter to do as well. So as they're born of God, as they have His seed in Him. As they are abiding, they're going to love the brethren, and that's going to manifest to the world that they are children of God, which is exactly the same thing Jesus said in the Upper Room Discourse. By this will all men know my disciples that you have loved one for another. And this continues to be an expansion of those ideas in the Upper Room. So really what we're saying is, if, I'm, if, I'm, if I may kind of re and put this in other words, is that what John is saying here is not so much that you'll never, it's not perfectionism, you'll never sin again. Correct. But rather that because God's seed is in you, those of you who have faith in Christ, you are going to refrain from acting in unloving ways towards your, your brothers and sisters in Christ. Mm-hmm. So really we've got a passage here about Christian unity yeah. more than we have anything else. Yeah, and as, as you're living consistently with that principle of life God has put in you, you're going to do that, and you're not going to sin. Right. So now let's build on that. Man, I've got a lot to build. I wouldn't even know where to start here. Well, let, I'll just I'll just throw you some softballs and let's see how you <laughs> okay. Or maybe they're not softballs. Let me just the people want to hear Jerry unfiltered. Let's do it. Um, so we are in a culture now where I, I don't know how you feel about it, Jerry, but I am about sick of hearing everybody's and I'm talking about believers. I'm gonna, I'm gonna use the word. I don't think you thought about this, maybe say unsanctified opinions on all things, to the point where we divide over those opinionated issues. Um, so we're, we're just seeing it all over the place. And we've almost equated things that we feel are, these are my things, these are the things I'm strongly passionate about. And if you're not as strongly passionate about as I am, can I even call you a brother? Mm-hmm. You seeing that? Oh, yeah. And I, I think we've all had seasons in our life where we've been in particular groups yep. where that's the case. And man, we'll hold some minor position on something. And I mean, I've been fired over things like that. Mm. And it's like, you've got to be kidding me yeah. that you can't separate that. And, and what tends to happen is the minor things 
those tend to be the things that people are known for then. Yeah. And I think that's always dangerous. Whenever a group or a church or a school is known for a lower-tiered doctrine, that, that shows a lack of health mm-hmm. there. We should be known for, all, for the gospel and concomitant truth that's associated with that, not these other things and where we're constantly trashing other people. And those are the things that are violating this passage. And if you really want to press the uh, perseverance view, then you'd have to say that all of these person people aren't saved. Yeah, and man, I could give you groups. Right, <laughs> I, I think they're saved. I just think they're misled a little bit. So that's where I kind of wanted to go with it because some people may be hearing that and going, "Yeah, all right, let's rally against that." Yeah, remember what I just said to those of you who are listening. I talked about those not being able to love other brothers and sisters because of division or dis or I guess I'd say uh, issues that we divide over. So we, me and you here at the table, myself personally, I'm looking at those people, they're saying things on social media and they're just making ugly statements or they're saying it personally. I have to be careful mm-hmm. so that I don't violate this text because I have, you know, the, his, the seed is in, it's in me. I'm born of God. How am I responding to the people that I think are doing the wrong thing in this way? And if I'm not careful, I go after them and I get on my soapbox pretty quickly and start judging them. So like you might mention another school or another group. I'm like, oh, those guys are so off. If they just get it right, let me tweet about it. Let me put something out there. I need to love them. And how do I love them? Well, number one, am I praying for them? How many times do I, I guess my question, well, to myself would be, how much time do I spend following the Twitter thread of their problems and, and reading and getting into that gossip against how much time am I praying for them. They just made a statement that I believe goes against a biblical value and principle. Am I loving them by praying for them to be restored, or am I using their tweet, their post, as a catalyst for an attack? And that's convicting to me. Yeah. Yeah. That's something I have to struggle with because I'm so quick, and maybe I don't know how you are, I'm very quick to find another fault, Mm. but I'm very... I'm not very quick to see my own. Like I'm, I'm literally the per, in this situation. I'm the proverbial guy who's the kids are in the other room and they're screaming at one another, and I yell, "Stop yelling!" At, and, and I'm, <laughs> yeah, I'm exactly. being the hypocrite, right? And so I'm doing the very same thing. It's like I'm doing this. I might post a passive aggressive tweet. Man, I really wish people would stop hiding behind their phones and talk to people. Send. <laughs> I yeah. just did it. Yeah. I just did yeah. it. And so I am convicted by this. If I'm going to walk in the light, as John tells me, as he is in the light and have fellowship with my other brothers and sisters, I've got to avoid that tendency to go harsh judgment. Mm-hmm. So, something that um, I always think of when I get here, um, and I was going to make some snarky comments, but now I can't. Oh, I'm so glad. Because of what you just said. That's <laughs> uh, a spirit, man. <laughs> well, let me just, let me just say this. Um, I do tend to lose patience, though in a loving manner. Yeah. With this perseverance idea that comes to a text like this mm-hmm. and, and says a true believer won't continue to sin, I'm still trying to figure out what that means. I don't know. Yeah. Um, I sin hourly. Yeah. And being a, what I hope is I'm going to do a Christian, I know I'm sinning. You know, that's not any surprise. Like, oh, that's actually wrong. It's like, so I'm sinning consistently. I mean, does it just have to be the same sin that isn't perseverance? Um, think of um, 
think of these dear brothers and sisters who are locked into addictions. Yeah. I mean, man, if you haven't experienced that, I mean, you would have to argue if perseverance is right, they can't be saved. Right. Because they, they've been into rehab, they've been over and over and over, and they just can't knock this thing. Yeah. And, and that's why you get into also the lordship idea where, okay, before you're saved, you have to give that up or be willing to give that up, knowing full well that I'm, I'm in love with this thing, I'm bound to this thing. Um, now, I'm not saying change can't occur, but I'm just saying yeah. it, it is so unrealistic. And I do want to mention some other texts, which I think go against this continual idea in First John. I'm glad you brought that up. You mentioned the, the addiction, and I think that's a big key because I think sometimes if we're not careful, those of us who may not struggle with addiction, mm-hmm. we could take a simplistic approach yeah. and say, oh, you're struggling with addiction because you're not you're not being faithful. You're not obeying. Yeah. If you'll just, we're like that Bob Newhart skit where he's the therapist on SNL or something, and somebody comes in with this addiction, and he just says, well, stop it. Just yes. stop it. Like, right. That's literally how we disciple people sometimes in that way. That's not easy. Now, of course, I know the Spirit can, you know, the Holy Spirit working in a believer can do amazing things. We know that. But we also need to have that charitable understanding, some sympathetic walking people through these things because there are people who are struggling with things we don't understand. And Correct. for us to just cast them aside and say, you must not be a believer because of this, yeah. I, I think that's the most... I would say the most heartless expression of Christianity I've ever heard of. Yeah, and that's why it gets under my skin a little bit. And uh, people will sometimes shoot back and say, well, I get the addiction thing, but this would just apply if they don't want to change. Mm. It's like a lot of them can't, and a lot of them, um, it's possible even as a believer to fall in love with sin. It, It almost becomes something you need to get by. Mm-hmm. And um, as you said, just to casually dismiss this, um, I mean, there are physiological issues going on. There are temperamental issues going on. There are the way one is raised. You know, you got a lot of things conflated together here. And um, to me, if you're going to be consistent with this, you know, you're really making a broad assertion about who is and who isn't saved. Which is a dangerous place. Yes, it is. Yeah, we, we can't go there. Yeah. All right, so what are some of the other points you were going to make? Yeah, well, I, you know, I just wanted to go to some other texts and just demonstrate that this idea that is posited by those taking a continual action idea in 1 John 3, 9 just goes against other scripture. And I want to refer to, I, would, I want to refer to two if we have time. Yeah. Um, the first one's in Romans 6. He is clearly talking to believers here. I mean, just read the end of five, read the beginning verses of six. I mean, it is as clear as possible he is talking to Christian people. Then he says in verse 12 of chapter six, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. What does that imply? That implies it is possible for sin to reign in your mortal body, which is why you have to decide not to let it. Then he says that you should not obey it in its lust. Um, Then down in verse 16, he says, Do you not know that to whom you yield yourself servants to obey his servants you are, uh, whether unto death or obedience unto righteousness? So Paul is making it very clear that it is possible for a believer to, um, for sin to reign in them. 
and and that's a horrible place to be. And um, can I shoot one more at you? Do it, man. All right. This one's in Second Peter one. Again, clearly talking to Christian people. He talks about the divine power they have, that they've been given um, all of the things that pertain to life and godliness. They've been given great and exceeding precious promises and so on. And then Peter tells them on the basis of that, give all diligence, add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge and to knowledge temperance and add all of these things. Then he says, for if these things be in you and abound, they make that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But, verse 9, mm-hmm. he who lacks these things is blind and cannot see afar. Oh, that's talking to unbelievers. No, it isn't, because then he says, you have forgotten that you were purged from your old sins. Mm-hmm. And then in the very next verse, he says, make sure you solidify your election, brethren, and um, live consistently with it. And if you do, you will be given an abundant entrance into the kingdom. So again, here you have this idea that a Christian can be fruitful or just the opposite, they can live an unfruitful life. And so there are just passages like this throughout the New Testament and the Old Testament that really show that um, you know it's just not valid to say that you're only a true Christian if you have a continual pattern of good works. Yeah, and I would... And probably what I'm about to suggest is I'm sure there's somebody listening who might respond with an email and argue the point. But when we suggest that, okay, if you're a Christian, then you're going to show this and you're going to, you're going to consistently, this is going to be something you're going to do consistently. You're not going to have a problem with sin. I believe it was when we see in scripture where he goes, Hey, he, what you began in faith, you're now trying to continue by the works. It's that, that idea like, okay, Christ rescued me. He declared me righteous by faith. So, so now I'm going to do everything else through my own effort. Um, so when we talk about sanctification, you know, of course, we talk about positional, progressive, permanent. But even the, okay, so positional, God set us apart in Christ. He placed us in Christ at the moment of our faith. Even progressive is God making us more like Jesus. Now, yes, there's some cooperation on our behalf where we obey him, but he's still going to do that process. The, the mindset that, oh, no, you've got to do this. This is something you do, and you keep yourself in, perseverance, that I believe personally undermines the beauty of the gospel that is declared righteousness by virtue of faith and nothing else. Hmm. Um, and, I, and I wrestle with that because, yes, growing up the way, you know, in, in, the, in the churches I attended as a kid, it was a lot of activity. It was a lot of you know, scripture taken, I believe out of context, showing, showing your faith, you know, doing these good things. And there's nothing wrong with that. I do believe that faith leads to good works. No one's denying that. But the argument becomes that it, it somehow keeps me secure, I, I think is a dangerous thing to, to begin to teach people because then even though they're declared righteous by faith, they almost now develop this fear and worry and anxiety of making sure I'm staying inside. Well, that, that, and that's the problem. one of the problems with this view that we've mentioned before mm-hmm. is you can ultimately have never assure, no assurance because you don't know what the next five years is going to hold mm-hmm. for you. So really until you die, you don't know if you've persevered. Yeah. I was reading through um, Calvin, doing some Cal- reading some of his um, work in the institutes, and he, he, he gives a great definition of faith. I don't know if I've shared it before. I probably have where he says, 
that faith is simply trusting God's promises. Yeah, that's all it is. It's not so much believing all. It's, it's trusting God's promises. It's taking God at His word. And then he even adds this little caveat. He says that does not remove doubt. Yes, because doubt is a part of the human condition. Right. Because we don't see. We don't see with the eyes of faith. We don't see everything. There is that doubt. There is that anxiety. There can be some of that concern. But faith is trusting God's promises, taking God at his word. And that's just, I think, one of the best definitions of faith that, that I've ever read. Oh, I think that's superb. Ironically, there are people that would agree with everything I've said, and some of them argue that you can't have doubts if you have true faith, right. which I think is nonsensical. Um, like Calvin said, it's part of the human condition, and we're going to doubt. And, um, uh, you know, that that's just the nature of it. And, you know, you just look forward to the day when the doubts vanish away. Yep. Well, I think this episode, this 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 question has been great, especially going back to the idea of perseverance and pres- against preser- preservation, because we are the Bible guys. We can, we can be, we are the professors. We do have these conversations, but we're also pastors. We also interact with people every day, and there's an important part to our study. If all we did was just sit behind the mic and study the study the Bible and come up with snarky responses to people yeah. who disagree with us, uh, you should stop listening to this podcast. And we live with ourselves. Right. Our, our goal mean, is to be pastoral. We're husbands. Um, we're fathers. And we are humans, and we, like you said, live with ourselves. We want to make sure that whatever we do, Whatever our theology, how we work out, how God has revealed himself in his word, it really does play into every part of our lives. Yes, we, it does. We, we want to come out of the the ivory tower of hermeneutics and like, okay, you read, you read a book, you did this, great, you're with us, but how, how does it now affect us? And I think this is one of those good episodes where we say, hey, we, we started with, does this teach perseverance? And then we got into, but how are we handling people's hearts? How does because God has done that well in His Word? How are we handling God's Word when it comes to other people? Yeah. Well, thank you for submitting that question. We always appreciate our listener questions. If you have one, you can give that to us at BibleGuysPodcast at gmail.com. You could also like us on Instagram or Twitter at BibleGuysPod. Both usernames work for each one of those. You can also click on your favorite podcasting um, listening to, uh, area. I guess you should say that way, or maybe it should say um, system or platform. I don't know words, but if you click like and you can subscribe to us, you will get new content every Friday at 8 a.m. when it's released. For Jerry Hollinger, I'm Rick Clonard. We'll see you next time.